that camera once you get past the embarrassment of being in front of it. But um, it really has been an incredibly fruitful year for us as a church. Uh, I really do feel like God is moving powerfully. God is adding people. God is growing people. God is growing us by adding people. He's growing us in multiple ways. And it really is amazing. And just a massive thank you to all the all the teams that put that stuff together, including sound teams and bands and the coffee, all those that serve, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's all of those people that help pull us all together to provide a moment where God can speak to us, engage with us, and talk to us. And I'm going to actually get to some of that this morning. But really a massive, massive, massive thank you. Uh, Nathan and Jade, next weekend, eh? Let's stand. Why don't you stand? Going to be married next weekend, Saturday. Yeah, nice. It's fantastic. Beautiful, beautiful. Are you guys excited? No, not really, eh? Bro, you might be doing it just in time. So let's trust that everything goes ahead according to plan. Praying that for you. And, um, you know, friends, we in a... I don't know if you've noticed that in the last two years there's been a whole bunch of uns. Uncertain uncontrollable unknowns it's all the uns we've got to make sure that the uns don't become duns that the uns all those uncertainty and un, all those things don't become oh, I'm done with actually no no we're not done part of the mystery of the glory of God is living in the mystery of the unknown he himself is unknowable to the full extent of who he is by us finite human beings we see moments of him he is so mysterious and so much greater. That's God alone. Never mind all of creation that has got all sorts of things wrong with it. And we've got to, be, we've got to make sure that we're living in a place that in the midst of, a, of new variants and, and all the more unknowns and all the unexpected that is upon us now, um, we, we've, got to, we've got to embrace the season. I was, I've been reading a book by Richard Raw called um, Adam Returns. I think it's called Adam Returns. And the book is all about how in history society has taken boys and made them into men. And all the lessons that they had to learn and the transitions they had to make to become men. And he distilled it down to five big ideas that, that boys need to learn and what happens is we have these um, rites of passage and initiation kind of things from boyhood. To the, the Jews would have a bar mitzvah. All different cultures have got those sorts of things. And there's five basic rules, five basic lessons that they've got to learn that you've got to teach your boys. And I want to say that you've got to teach anybody. But I want to remind us as adults of those five things quickly. It's actually not what I've got to prepare, what I've got to preach, but I just felt like the first one is this, life is hard. Life is hard, and we've got to remember that life is hard. Do I have to remind you of that? And we've got to embrace, you've got to embrace the challenges and own them. The hardness and the difficulty of life is not meant to overwhelm us. Paul says we were perplexed, we were, we were kind of driven down, we were bashed down, but still we believe what God had for us. Life is hard. Number two, 
You're not important. You've got to care about more about others than what you do yourself. For boys to become men, for kids to become adults, they've got to learn that actually the glory of being loving another releases something. You're not that important. We, we live to serve those around us. Number three, your life is not about you. It's a transition where you understand I'm part of a story that God is telling. I'm not the story. I'm not the center of the story. Amazing, yeah. It's incredible that most traditions and cultures have this, but evangelical Christians don't. We, are we teaching our kids life is hard? Are we teaching our kids that actually, and are we reminding ourselves that life is hard, actually you're not that important, it's not all about you. Number four, which is the one I want to highlight for us, he says this, the fourth thing that kids, boys need to transition to to become men, and I believe kids need to transition to become adults, and adults need to be reminded of, you're not in control. It's, 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 the, it's the illusion that we are in control. Friends, we are not God. And the, the, the posture of I'm not in control is not victimhood, it's surrender. It's our surrender to the plans of God. Our surrender to the goodness of God, the God that knows all things. And he still knows all things in the midst of lockdowns and new variants. And we're not in control. And the, the, the quicker we can get into a posture of surrender of our expectations. Friends, they, I, I think I know 10 people that were meant to be going to the UK or bringing kids back from the UK or going to the US or bringing kids back from the US that are not able to not right now. Posture of surrender. Not aggression. Don't let disappointment become anger especially anger at others. We're in a place, friends, we're not in control. God is, is, God is sovereign, and we've got to learn to surrender to him. Otherwise, we're going to go nuts. And then the fifth thing, I love this, you're going to die. It's quite encouraging, eh? Kids, life is hard, you're going to die. You see, the shift that has to happen in our minds is from the temporal to the eternal. You're going to die. One of my running routes is through, a, is through a cemetery. It's okay, guys. I'm not going to get infected by dead people. But it's actually fascinating running through cemeteries. Stellarwood Cemetery. There's a little route there. Actually can't get in because they've locked the gates now. But the, it's amazing to think, you see soldiers, you see young people, old people, families all in one place. And the old, the old story of it begins with you were born in this time and you died in this time and in between is a dash. And how diligent you are with the dash matters because that's our life. Friends, this is a moment for us as adults to be adults and to remember life's hard 
It's not all about you. You're not in control. You're not that important. And you're going to die. Say, let's live life to the full. Let's remind ourselves. Friends, this moment, on this Sunday, I said to Lefefe and I, boy, what an amazing time. Ministry, life, life of God, wanting to minister. Treasure it, friends. We might not have it next weekend. You see, these are things that, bring, that take people from being boys to men and girls to women and adults. We've got to learn these things. And, and this is cultures. This is not even Bible. It's the cultures. Cultures understand this, that actually if you want to do this and you want your boys and your kids to succeed, they've got to learn these rules. They've got to have these things built into them. How much more have we, in a relationship with the Yahweh, the God Almighty, through the blood and the power of Jesus, able to live that to the full? Absolutely profound. Absolutely profound. So, that's just to say, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Whether we get closed down or not closed down, haven't we learned now, actually, it's flexible. What is, and the problem is, friends, I, like you, can get mad about this opinion and that opinion and have my own opinion. I can do absolutely nothing about it. So I've got to surrender. And all of us, it's a moment of surrender. The holiness of waiting on God and waiting for God is very powerful. Go into the room. Jesus says to them, and don't leave Jerusalem. Wait there until you've been clothed with power from on high. Wait there. Wait. Just wait. He didn't say, how long must I wait? He just said, wait. And together in the room, they petition, they come together, they build relationships, and they, they're waiting on God. And on the day of Pentecost, the power of God is unleashed, and the church is birthed an incredible power because people were prepared to wait. With the unknown and the uncertainty in the midst of them, with the uns there, uncontrollable. What, how long must I wait for? No, just go and wait. It's a powerful, powerful place we're in, friends. If we can find God in the midst of this storm, this continuing storm that kind of never seems to abate, we will grow deep roots and become strong people in God. And the church will shine like it's meant to shine. I am, I am actually so encouraged around the health of the church. And I want to encourage you. Don't, don't let your heads drop. Surrender. Learn to surrender to what God has for us. I wanted to, last, a couple of weeks ago, I spoke about hospitality and how the power, the gospel, superpower of the gospel is hospitality. It's actually this idea of philozenia, meaning the love of strangers, which is directly opposed to xenophobia, the fear of strangers. And how actually as the church, the way that the church spread so rapidly through the early first few hundred years of the church, one of the major issues was because they were so hospitable. To sick people, to all sorts of people, they were hospitable. They, they, they drew people because the kingdom of God doesn't matter how it manifests, where and wherever and however it manifests, it manifests in this word, welcome. It welcomes people. 
And I spoke about the, the power that we have in Christ and, and the power of the communion meal. And I'm not going to get to do all of that because my time is short now. But um, I spoke about how the, the communion meal was started with the, with the breaking of bread. And the breaking of bread for a Roman family was to, was to welcome people. You'd break bread. And Jesus went and said, when you break bread, remember that was my body that was broken. And it's a welcome. And my body was the price that was paid for our welcome. Together in a community, but together in the heavenly courts of God. We have a welcome in God. It's called communion. It's called fellowship. It's called the breaking of bread. Breaking of bread means that for something to live, something must die. For us to live, Jesus died. For us to eat, something must die. And it reminds us that actually we live, we to call, we to, we to live lives of surrender because actually for you to exist, somebody had to sacrifice. For you to eat, somebody had to sacrifice. And it reminds us of that. And then there was the Eucharist, which is the thanksgiving. It was all known by these different names in the, in the, the thanksgiving meal. It was actually, this was a moment of thanks. It was the love feast. It was the, 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 the Lord's Supper. It was the love feast. It was a, was a time of celebration and, and joyfulness. And uh, there was, a, there was another, another word called the Lord's Supper, which was a, a, a covenantal meal. We remember what we have in Christ. And we remember that actually Jesus' body was broken for us. And it's this, and, and this welcome that is to include everybody. It, it's, a, it's a table that is not where you put your titles aside and you come and sit together and you eat together in the presence of God. And it's not just on a Sunday when we have a breaking of bread, but actually in our homes when we have meals together and we give thanks to God and we, and we come together and we, we know Jesus is there. And remember that our welcome to this table, we thank God for our presence at the table. And then there was another word called the Mass, which is a Catholic word, doesn't exist in the Bible, but it comes from the Latin phrase, ita missa est, ita missa est, which means go now, I send you, which was said at the end of the meal. And uh, to remember the table that God puts before us, the holiness, the, the otherness, the power of that table also translates into a going from the table into mission, into care for the world. So we come, we gather at the table, we find Jesus at the table, we find each other at the table, we find love at the table, we can grieve at the table, we can say farewell at the table, all that happens at the table. But when we get up from the table, we go in the power of God to come reproduce the same wherever we are. And this is this awesome power. And Jesus, at the end of the meal, he took, the, he took the wine and he said, now drink this in remembrance of me. The new covenant that you have in me. The grace that exists for your life. Past, present and future sin dealt with. The power of sin dealt with. And when you get up from the table, know this, you are free. Know this, that you are guilt-free, shame-free. And if you had any, any disagreements at the table, leave them at the table because the blood of Jesus is bigger than your disagreements. It's a powerful, powerful moment. And so the table is this very significant thing that happens. It's, and it represents, it's more than a table, it's a home, it's a heart. It's this idea of hospitality. And so over the next few months, we're going to go and look at all the moments that Jesus has around the table. We're going to we call this mini, little mini portion the holy table. Holy meaning other, unique. 
The uniqueness of Jesus' table compared to the tables around him was absolutely amazing. And many people got ministered to in homes around tables. And so what I want to do is I want to whet your, your appetite very quickly in the next eight minutes around something that happens at the table. Because the table, whenever we break bread together, it's a reset moment. It's a drawing in moment. It's a recalibrating moment. It's a, it's, listen, I've messed up. But thank God I've got the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus that counts for me, not against me. It's this incredible moment. Friends, and at the table, it's so profound because if you look at what happens around the table in Jesus' life, you see at the table so many different things happen. I want to highlight one or four or five of those. Now, just kind of almost just mention them. In Mark chapter 14, verse 3 and 4, while Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table of a man named Simon the leper, a woman with an alabaster jar with very expensive perfume made a pure nod. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying in dignity to one another, why waste this perfume? Jesus says to them, I leave this woman alone. She's done a beautiful thing. This story will be told in memory of her. And we remind ourselves that at the table, beautiful memories are created. Friends, don't be shy of creating beautiful memories with friends and family around a table, especially now. Especially now. And uh, what happens is, is we remind ourselves that the power of the table, the power of that beautiful memory was made possible by a man named Simon the leper. Simon, who was an outcast. Simon, the man who didn't, nobody wanted to be because he was leprous, now opens his home because he's been healed. Because he's been healed and says, come to my home. And his home facilitates the me- this beautiful moment, this beautiful memory that we now enjoy until every time the gospel gets preached, the story gets preached, Jesus said. You see, around the home and around our tables, we create beautiful memories and we create ministry moments. I said this last time, I said we've got one pulpit in the church, but we've got hundreds of tables in the church. Where do you think a lot of the ministry is going to happen? Not just from the pulpit, but in our homes, around the table, with the presence of God. That's where the priesthood of all believers gets, gets released, is around the table. Powerful, powerful thing. So the table facilitates ministry and the operation of gifts. What about this one? Luke chapter 14, verse 7. When he noticed how the guests, the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. He tells them the parable that you mustn't just invite people that are rich and famous and that are going to puff you up. You must invite anybody, everybody and anybody, and especially those that can't invite you back because you, if you do, you'll be blessed and you'll be blessed in the, at the resurrection of the righteous. You see, at the table, he noticed, I love that, at the table, he noticed how the guests, guests picked the places of honor. You see, the table is an incredible discipleship tool. When we sit around the table and people's guards are dropped and they feel like when you're eating, you kind of feel like you're in a safe space, you begin to notice what people are doing. And when we're in a discipleship journey, it's at that noticing that you can think, actually, you know what? What these people need now is a parable to help them not do that. It's that, that happens at the table. 
A table is an incredible discipleship moment where we can notice people. And we can notice them and celebrate them. We can notice them and correct them. We can notice them and bring teaching to them. We can notice them. And it's this moment where actually God starts to minister to people at the table. Friends, I want to encourage us. Bring your children to the table when you have people around. Tables are only so big. So we've got two tables kind of in our dining room area and often the adults sit here because that's how many people there are and then the kids sit there next to them if there's that many people or the kids just sit around the table. But I want to encourage us, bring the kids to the table. The kids need to learn table skills, not just table manners. They need to learn the skills of being around the table, of listening, of asking questions, of noticing and when they, the best way that they can learn is to see you doing that around the table. Include the kids around the table. Kids, I grew up in a, in, a, in a place where kids were seen and not heard. Not helpful. The way your kids will learn table skills, the skills of Jesus at the table is when you are sitting around the table and actually teaching them by example. Table is a wonderful discipleship tool. The third thing is this, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 22, Jesus was reclining at the table with the 12, and while they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to see, say to one another, surely not our Lord. And then the same thing in Mark chapter 14, verse 18, surely not our Lord. Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me at this table. they all like, oh, not me. And Judas himself, no, not me, surely not our. You see, friends, at the table, people's, and it's, it was at the table in, jo in John chapter 13 where it says this. It says, at that moment, Judas gave his heart over to Satan, and he, he decided he was going to betray Jesus. I want to say, friends, at the table, hearts are revealed. Hearts are revealed. And it's a, it's a revelation to us as we're sitting there, but it's also a revelation so that we can help people. At the table, hearts are revealed. It can be awkward, it can be difficult, it can be painful. There is, there is people that back Jesus at that table, surely not I, and they, they kind of back him, although many of them actually deny him later. But there's also a people at the table that will betray you. Just because you've been betrayed at the ta table, you can't believe it. This person said this and we had them in our home. No, Jesus also had that. Don't worry, it's going to be okay. And you don't close down your table and close down your heart because somebody betrayed you at the table. What you do is you, you, you get to learn to love and you get beyond that and continue to bring people to the table. Don't be surprised, friends. A table is not, it's, it's, it's messy at times. It's beautiful initially. By the end of the table, it's just stuff all over the place. People have eaten. But it's not about the mess. It's not about that. It's, it's about the value of the presence of people and the presence of Jesus around our tables. What about this? Luke chapter 24, verse 30 to 31. When Jesus was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. This is the story of Jesus and the two, two disciples to Emmaus. And Jesus comes up alongside them and starts talking to them, and they detected, and they just, oh, we thought you, that guy was the Messiah, and now he's dead, and oh, wow, what happened, and whatever. Anyway, so 
eventually Jesus speaks to them and he says, the text says that he explained them from the scriptures, from the prophets and from the history and they, they've showed how the kingdom of God and Jesus was revealed in these moments and then it, and then it goes on and, it, and then he sat down and he, this text comes and he breaks bread and as he breaks bread at the table, their eyes are opened and they realize, oh, this is Jesus. He is alive, he's not dead and it says, wow, did our, were our hearts not burning in us? You see, friends, at the table, at the table, truth is revealed. In our homes, friends, your home, your table, your lounge could be the place that somebody gets the revelation of Jesus that they never had before. You see, it's at the table that you put truth on the table. I love this. If we saw Sundays as a table instead of a classroom, I think it would change the way we come to church, the way we come arrive at church. You see, when you come to the table, you bring. When you come to a service, you come to receive. Actually, this, we're trying to make a family moment, a, a, a table moment, and because there's too many people, you can't have tables. And in any way, kind of, I don't know how helpful that is anyway in this, in this kind of context. But actually, this is a table that you come to to get truth put on the table and you begin to, if it's truth, it'll take root in you. If, you. if you have revelation, if there's humility, if there's actually what is this? And then we begin to take this truth and digest it. It happens at the table. It happens your home and my home. These are something of, something of what Jesus does at the table. What about John chapter 13? Jesus tells them to prepare a room for the Passover meal. It says, and then he went in there and he, he wanted to show them the full extent of his love. And he undressed himself and he put, a, put a, towels and, and things around him and he began to wash their feet. See, at the table we get to serve people and make people feel, maybe some people have never ever been served in their life. Maybe some people have never had their feet ever washed in their life. But they can have at our tables. At the holiness of our tables. Our tables are different. Our tables we serve. The host serves. The host doesn't get elevated. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You see, and then he goes on and he says, do you understand what I've done for you? Jesus says to the guys. Because what I've done is I've set you an example. You see, at the table we get to set the example. We get to, to flesh out and to live out and live by example and have the conversation by example and to disagree well around the table by example. And guess what? When your kids are there, they're watching and they're learning. And get, you know what will happen? When they grow up, that's what their table will be like. All happens in a home, friends. Philozenia, love of strangers. And that's got to happen not just with our close family and friends, and the cliques, that's where cliques are meant, never meant to be in the church. With certain groups and you can't penetrate that group because it's like very tight. No, 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 this is love of strangers, love of everybody so that we can see the kingdom come in a profound way. And then lastly, John chapter 21 verse 9. Peter has denied Jesus. He's denied him and he's walked, he's gone back fishing again. He thought, I ah, you know what, I, I was following him, but actually I'm going to go back to uh, what I used to do, fishing. 
Go back to my default setting. Jesus comes to the beach and he says to them, because they're not catching anything, he says, I just go and fish over there, guys. And they catch this massive thing of fish. And suddenly Peter realized, oh, that's Jesus. He's alive. That's Jesus. And he dives into the water and he swims to the, and Jesus says to him, Peter, bring some fish that you have. And added to what I've, it says that Jesus had a bra and he had some fish and some bread there. And he said, bring what you have and bring it onto here because actually I want, to, I want a bra with you. I want to eat with you. See, the table doesn't have to be in a formal setting. It can be on the beach. It's not about the physicality of it. It's about the power of the heart around it. And it's at that table that Peter gets restored. Back into his core. You see, friends, when our tables and our hospitality and our homes are on the place that they should be, people get restored. People get healthy again. People get loved again. People get restored. And I love the fact that Jesus just very ordinarily says, come and bring and share. Come and share here. And then speaks to him. Laugh. Friends, I want, to, I want to encourage you over this Christmas season, but not just this Christmas season. I think God is, is very seriously wanting to marry tables with pulpits. I think that's how the early church did its life. And it didn't do that according to a program. It did that because it was in people's hearts. It was their culture to live lives of hospitality and around tables. And now we've got COVID and all sorts of things happening. And what it's doing is it's pulling us away from the table. It's pulling us away from being together. And people are paying the price emotionally, psychologically, all those sorts of things. But we can responsibly make sure that actually we take care of people in our homes around the table. It's very, very powerful, friends. And as we, in the next few weeks, I think best preaching next weekend. But as we start to unpack, what does it look like around the, the, the miracles that happen around the table? It's, it's absolutely phenomenal. Just in homes, around tables. And we can trust God for that to happen in our community. You see, you don't come to church to see a miracle. We also go to our homes to see a miracle. Jesus is everywhere. When Jesus walks into the room, everything changes. You know the first thing about what happens when Jesus walks into the room? Don't walk out. Stay there. When Jesus walks into the room, stay there. Don't, uh, whatever. Just stay there. Let Jesus minister. Let God minister. And that's what our homes are meant to be in Jesus' name. Let's do that over this time. I trust and I pray that God would use us powerfully around our tables. We have moments with friends and distant relations and families over this Christmas time. And we get to, into contact with people over this time like we don't normally have around the rest of the year. Let's make the most of our tables at this time and use it as a platform to minister from. Even if we can't be in U the UK or the US, or let's try and make the best of what we can do in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.